0: Hello everybody and welcome to The Pylon, a podcast about the NFL for Impact 89 FM Sports in East Lansing, Michigan. I'm Ian Drummond with a bit of a frog in my throat today. Alongside me, as per usual, Michael Marcock, Jacob Lothamer, and Darren Badoon. How are you guys doing this week?
1: Pretty good. <laughs> it's
0: time to keep going. I am doing pretty good as well. First pylon of the offseason officially. Since we had the Super Bowl on Sunday. Obviously, our predictions mostly did not come true. Michael did accurately predict that Tampa Bay would both win and score 31 points. The Chiefs did not score 22, as he predicted, but we'll get to the ramifications of that when we talk about the Pick'em winner okay, overall
2: this week. I said, I said Chiefs would score 28. Just 28. I
0: mean, that
2: was even farther from it, but still.
0: My still. apologies. 28 points. <clears throat> anyway, biggest story of the game, how about the Bucks defense? Absolutely. Coming to play this past week, Patrick Mahomes found himself pressured on half of his dropbacks, despite the fact that Tampa Bay only blitzed at him 11% of the time. I know that we did touch on the fact that Casey was missing both of their starting tackles. And it feels like that was a huge part of why tampa was able to be so disruptive even without the blitz besides the talent of their d lineman of course so i have to ask did we did we underestimate how bad of a loss this would be for the chiefs given that we mostly picked them to win anyway
1: um i think that i mean obviously we it, it can't be discounted how big having not not having those two offensive tackles worked work for them because that whole game, Patrick Holmes was just running around trying to make a play. I think he ran for like the statistic was that he ran before he before he threw like he ran for a total of like four hundred seventy nine yards or something like that before he threw a pass. Just like scrambling around the field, it's like that's a ridiculous number. Like I mean that that's a ridiculous amount of run you have to do as a quarterback just to get away. But you know I mean this is it 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 shows you that. You know, there, every, obviously you need a quarterback to be able to win in this game, but you also need to be able to dominate both sides of the line of scrimmage. And that's what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did. I mean, that you know, offensive, offensively they were able to have their way with whatever Kansas City's defense tried to throw at them. And then obviously defensively they just completely overwhelmed um, the Kansas City Chiefs all-line. I thought it was kind of an interesting – I thought it, it kind of backfired, Andy Reid, the fact that he only left five blockers in 92 percent of the snaps in the entire game you know you're not trying to put another you know six guys on the line just to try and you know help on the edge or something like that it's I just thought I kind of think I think we all just assume that Patrick Mahomes is just gonna find find a way to make plays but I mean the Bucs were in the Super Bowl for a reason and you know Shaq Barrett uh Sue via Vea Jason Pierre Paul I mean those are all guys that can get after it so you know it's you know, it's kind of, I think maybe, yeah, I think we probably did underrate it a little bit. And I mean, that's, you know, Tom Brady, it's, you know, he's, he's seen that happen to him a couple of times in the Super Bowl against the New York Giants is that when you have a team with a front four that can get after it, you know, and you don't have to blitz that it makes it, it makes it tough for the opposing offense.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that. I think, I think we didn't take into account the tackles as much as everyone thought they did. Um, especially what I was hearing throughout the week was that, oh, the Chiefs get the ball out quick. You know, they have Tyreek Hill who can get open like that, you know, and Travis Kelsey always runs those underneath routes and he's always open. But I think, you know, nobody underestimates what happens when literally Patrick Mahomes doesn't even have, you know, two seconds to pass. I mean, Vita Vea was in the backfield on every single play. And the other thing that was that was very disturbing i think coming from the chief side was just how unprepared and uncoached they were um for an andy reed led team to be outcoached like that in that capacity i mean they were outcoached on offense they were outcoached on defense on special they were outcoached from the from the from the opening kickoff and the buccaneers were sho- they were playing defense where they were dropping you know what is it? Seven guys into coverage and then only rushing four. That's a, that's a run the ball. Look, you know, you should run against that when they have seven DBs on the field and Kansas city just continued to throw the ball into double coverage and stuff. How do you beat a pass rush? The easiest answer to that is running the football. You have to run the ball. You have to make Tampa bring more men into the box and then you can throw it over them with Tyreek Hill and Michael Hardman and Travis Kelsey. The chiefs didn't do any of that. They made zero adjustments and the buccaneers were getting in the backfield whenever they wanted and you know that's why mahomes ran for almost 500 yards before throwing the ball um, he's he's he is human and the coaching just did not help mahomes out on sunday i definitely
3: underestimated it when picking the chiefs three of us did pick the chiefs we all underestimated it it was i felt really bad for mahomes it was tough to watch him have to run around and then he has to get surgery on his foot soon too so it's a it it was tough. He was hurt to begin with. And then not having any time. And like Michael really kept on. I really didn't think Bruce Arians was gonna out coach Andy Reed. I, I really didn't think that was gonna happen. Like no offense to Bruce Arians, obviously he's a great coach, but he's a Super Bowl winning coach. But I, I, I didn't think Eric Reed's just done it for so much longer. Bruce Arians hasn't had the same consistency, and I thought I, I just thought that Andy Reid was going to do a better job. I feel like this loss lies on him more than anyone else that in the offensive line. Uh, but also their defense got exposed a little bit. I didn't hear Chris Jones's name as much as I thought I would. Tyron Matthew made a big play, but then there was pass interference. Um, yeah. The front line really didn't show up for the, uh, for the chiefs at all. And the bucks did a really good job of protecting Tom Brady and getting him time to throw the ball. And that's, And then the Chiefs didn't do the same thing. So I think it was definitely underestimated. And moving forward, if the Chiefs don't improve their offensive line, there's your blueprint on beating them. Have a good defensive line. And if they don't improve this offensive line this offseason, then it's going to be really, really hard for them because it wasn't just the tackles. They were getting destroyed on the inside too.
0: I think you all brought up some really good points in there. I mean, Darren, with the – just how much that Mahomes had to run around in the backfield to try to get anything accomplished, having to run outside the pocket, you know, even throwing when he was almost parallel to the ground. Of course, probably one of the best throws I've seen live that did not get caught. Just absolutely ridiculous attempts that unfortunately did not cash in at all. Um, I also thought going back to what Michael said that I was surprised at how little it seemed like they were actually adjusting to what they were being given on the offensive side of the ball. Cause they came out at like after halftime and they were actually running it a little bit and they were doing pretty good at it because Tampa Bay was just set up like we're selling all the way out to defend the pass because the chiefs pass it so much and they were having that success running it, but then they would just go after a little bit, like it's back to the pass and then it's back to not succeeding against a, you know, terrifying D line and a defense that's got, you know, absolute just guys at, Really, all three levels. Like, I thought we were going to see some of those, some of those really exotic, like, you know, run pass fakes, some of those plays where there's like four different guys that could get the ball out of the backfield. But then, you know, they like shovel it to Kelsey or something. You know, some of that, some of the just absolute creativity that I feel like makes the Chiefs so fun to watch and makes them so frustrating for other teams to defend against. But, yeah, I really felt like they were they were not prepared for what they were going up against. I mean, also credit Todd Bowles for completely, like, reversing his usual game plan because I think they were blitzing, what, like, half the time in the season and then they switched it up, just dropped guys all night, and it worked out for them. So, you know, great credit to him for using the talent he had in that way. I will say that the general, like, not necessarily lower scoring nature, but the fact that the Chiefs never really felt like they were in this game, like start to finish, did lead to sort of a perception that this was a, a boring Super Bowl. I know that my mom texted me about three-quarters of the way through, and she was just like, this is pathetic. What's going on? So I did want to ask if, if these sorts of like lower scoring or not as close Super Bowls, like are these really more boring to you or, you know, does this perception come from somewhere else? I don't think it's the fact that
3: it was low scoring. I could be happy with a Super Bowl like how the Rams and the Patriots were a couple of years ago when it's very competitive but it's low scoring. The fact that it wasn't competitive at all has to be the part that was the most boring to me. Uh, it, you know, it's very cliche to say you just want to see a good game, but at the end of the day, like, besides betting interests, you really just want to see a good game, a game that, like, draws your attention. I found myself, like, drowning out after partway through the third quarter just because I, I felt like the Chiefs never, like, you, like we've been saying this whole time, the Chiefs never tried to do anything different. They came out trying to do something different at the start of the third quarter. They ran the ball a couple more times. That weird play where it was a draw play and Mahomes would do the ter- drop back and then do a quick handoff to the running back Alaire. But besides that, a couple times, like I felt like I was watching the same thing over and over again. And the repetitiveness of the Chiefs failing and just the grinding of Tampa Bay moving the ball. It was just, you know, there was no excitement on any of these drives. Um, the Chiefs never put any life in the game, and I feel like that's the one thing the Chiefs usually do is bring a spark to a football game and they just didn't. So it's not the, it's not the low scoring that bothers me. It's the lack of competitiveness between the two teams.
1: Yeah, I'll agree with that. Cause I feel like it's one thing, like there can be, obviously as a football fan i can still watch what could be called an ugly game and still find it entertaining like i can remember when the denver broncos faced the carolina panthers and a lot of casual fans will have looked at that game and said oh it was so boring there was no scoring anything but you know as a fan as someone who genuinely enjoys watching the game you look at a game like that and you see how dominant a defensive performance that denver has it's like it's captivating because it's so good this game though it you know, I I'll agree with Jacob in the fact that it really did just feel like after halftime, there just wasn't any it, it it just there wasn't any like it just didn't feel it, it, there wasn't much to enjoy like it just felt like like he said like you know the Chiefs we were just we were seeing Patrick Mahomes just running around all day there was no changing you know no trying to run the ball more you know there was no change it just it was the same thing we were seeing every time and. When it does get to get repetitive like that, even as a, because I remember the one thing I was watching with you know friends of mine and everything like that, I'm just like you know, it was it was just like I'm like wow, what a, overall even for me to say this as a football fan, what a boring game because it really was. I mean, after halftime, I mean nothing, nothing, nothing really happened. I mean the Bucks you know increased the score a little bit, but it's like I mean the game was basically over. I mean, you didn't you didn't need to really watch any of the second half in order to, you know, to, to really to, to see it. You know, you didn't miss anything. You could have checked out after halftime and, you know, that could have been it. So from that, there are ugly games that can still certainly be entertaining as a football fan. But this was a game where even I after it was going, it, it was, you know, I felt, yeah, it was boring for me. It was.
2: This game reminded me a lot of Super Bowl 48, which was the Seahawks-Broncos one, where, I mean, the Seahawks just destroyed the Broncos from the jump. Uh, But the funny thing, like, but that game, like, I remember watching that game, and, I mean, around the fourth quarter it got boring, but, like, throughout the first three quarters, that game was, like, The Seahawks were making like almost every play imaginable. Like you talk about the first snap that went over Manning's head for that safety, the pick, like the 80 yard pick six, then Percy Harvin returns the kickoff for a touchdown. Like it, you watched that game and you were basically saying, okay, we know what like the result's going to be, but like what is Seattle going to do next? And it was so fun to watch because Seattle was such a I don't really know how to describe it, but they were just such a likable team. Like, I I don't know of a lot of people that didn't like the Seahawks that year, just with the Legion of Boom and Richard Sherman and Marshawn Lynch. Like, it just felt very, like, everyone was, like, watching it. It was just, okay, what are the Seahawks going to do next? This This year it was more like, you know, I mean, I know man, Brady's kind of vanilla. I mean – he doesn't, the Buccaneers didn't do anything flashy. There was, there was, they didn't have, you know, a pick six. They didn't have a kick return for a touchdown. They just went on methodical drives that wore the chiefs down defensively. And then the chiefs offense couldn't stay on the field and the Buccaneers would get it back and go on another long drive. And the defense just got worn out. But I mean, that's what Brady does. That's what he did against the Rams. And, you know, I, I think that's part of the reason it wasn't flashy like it was, you know, in that Seahawks Broncos game. Um, The result was never in doubt. It's just a matter of when we were watching that game seven years ago, we were watching it like, you know, oh, you know, what are they going to do next? Um, Because this is actually like really fun when you watch a domination of that degree. But this year, it was just like we've seen Brady do this so many times. Like we know how this is going to go. There's no, you know, there's there's no it's not going to get any different.
0: You know, I think you nailed exactly what I was thinking, Michael, because as you were saying that I was flashing back to the Seahawks Broncos Super Bowl as well. And I was thinking like, you know, I really loved that game and you're right. It's in my head. I was pulling for the Seahawks the whole time in my head. I was like, Oh, I want to see how far they can run this up. I want to see them win. I haven't seen the Seahawks you know do anything in a while really so at least not at that point in my life i had obviously been a little different since then but anyway yeah and i think it was also like tampa kind of front loaded their scoring just a little bit like towards the end of the game it started to taper off so you had the score like holding constant long periods but it was clear that the Chiefs were not going to get into this one. And also, you're right. I think that, you know, unless you're, like, a just an absolute, like, diehard Brady fan, like, I don't think there's going to be too much interest in just, like, watching him do it again. I mean, I can say that, like, most of the people that I was watching this with were, like, fairly serious Brady haters. So, you know, my mom is too. So there's another commonality. I think that's why everyone was just so checked out. It was, you know, you're right. It was nothing that we haven't seen before. It was just, you know, it's just it's not interesting to watch it. And you know, it it kind of sucks to have a boring Super Bowl because it's. It's like the culmination of the season. It's the game that the most people are going to watch. And hopefully 2021 will be a better year for the league in that regard. That's all I got to say. Now, I know that Jacob mentioned that one reason that you could be interested in the Super Bowl was if you'd put some bets down on it. Well, of course, last week we – threw down for six hand-selected prop bets, which Jacob thought were extremely interesting. And I'm going to throw it over to him to talk about the results of those prop bets for the Super Bowl.
3: Well, first, Ian, I, I'd like to now be referred to for, uh, for the rest of the times we do these podcasts as um, our Pick'em champion. Um, that is my name. I did win. Ian did go for 81 total points in the Super Uh, didn't get close to 81. He went bold and I can appreciate boldness, but Ian is our prop bet champion hitting five out of the six prop bets. Ian was very impressive. Um, Michael went three and six, Darren went three and six. I went four and six pretty good. Um, overall we were split 50, 50 on heads and tails. Of course, uh, that was a tough one to start the game with. If you if you start off tails, then that's already a tough place to be. All of us hammering the over for the national anthem. Michael with the hottest tip in the world saying it is a duet. It will go over. That was a brilliant call, Michael. Shout out to you. Um, the next one, a QB kneel down. There was a QB kneel down considering the fact that Tampa Bay controlled majority of the game. Michael, the only one to say no kind of on a cold take there but Michael redeems himself with Tom Brady being the first one to throw a touchdown pass Tom Brady was the only quarterback to throw a touchdown pass and then I was the sole idiot that took Tom Brady more than half a rushing yard who would have thought the old tortoise Tom Brady himself wasn't going to get more than one rushing yard and then will there be a two-point conversion Ian and I said no Michael and Darren said yes there wasn't a two-point conversion because the Chiefs never even got a chance to get the game close. So those were our prop bets that kept the game interesting for me, especially with the Tom Brady rushing yards and the kneel down. So I appreciate you all, you guys with uh, the prop bets and everything. Uh, It's going to stink not having anything to gamble on. Now I'm just going to have to put a lot of money on Trevor Lawrence to be the very first pick in the draft.
0: I just want to say that everyone who did not absolutely throw down for heads absolute fools unbelievable
3: yeah darren michael what were your what was your thought process of even taking tails that just seems like why would you put in why would you leave it to chance like it was a hundred percent chance that that 50 50 coin was going to be heads Uh,
2: (laughs) tails never fails
1: jacob we all know this it does though (laughs) it did one time it did one time but that doesn't mean it won't next year Next I year, mean, you know, next, next year, old year old. we
0: could see some regression to the mean, you know, unsustainable run here from Heads.
1: Yeah, yeah it's it's insane. insane. Tails was
2: favored.
0: No, they mm-hmm. were both minus
2: 103. Tails was favored. Makes no sense.
0: I think it was hilarious that they weren't. That it was minus 103. Such a random ass number.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's random, yeah. It's tough. But Tails had hit. Five of the last six years until this year so I, I see where the rationale is but tails was too hot it, it, it went out in a blaze of
2: glory it can't and believe in the hot hand folks can't believe in it oh and by the way the last like i saw it stabs like the last seven super bowls the team who has won the coin toss lost the game so whoever's in the super bowl next year don't win the coin toss just don't you'll lose.
3: Yeah defer the coin toss to the other team and hope that they they well, don't get it well, they don't they thing, get it right.
2: You win the coin toss and then just say we want the ball and then they get the choice in the second half so then basically you still win the coin toss but you're deferring the second half. So maybe try that because I believe yes the the coin toss winners are over their last seven in the Super Bowl It's pretty remarkable. Pretty, pretty
0: ridiculous remarkable.
2: how much power
0: we've given this tiny coin. I I think I think we should really investigate the coin. Well, think about it. A Super Bowl was literally decided because
2: of the coin. Um, so I mean, you know, (laughs) that's what I'm
0: saying. Does the coin have money down on itself?
2: The coin does. The uh,
3: the coin the coin is big bank, the coin is wall street, it will never die, it can't lose.
0: The coin always no matter what.
3: The coin always wins.
0: Disgusting. (laughs)
3: Well, that was our prop picks. I will hand it over to Mike. We will be doing the first inaugural season, the award show, the Pileys. Michael, over to you.
2: Yes, thank you, Jacob. Uh, This will be the inaugural first year of the Piley Awards. Um, They are, we are picking the same awards as the NFL Honors, but our award is worth a lot more. Um, so in speaking of coin tosses, so this is how we've decided the scoring. So all four of us, I will basically, we'll, we'll mix up the order every round, but we have seven awards here. We have coach of the year. We have defensive rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year, defensive player of the year, offensive player of the year, most improved player instead of comeback player of the year. And then we have MVP, obviously. So we're going to have those seven, um, We'll go around, make all four of us will make our prediction. Um, majority will rule. So if three of us think it's one of one or the other, that the person with the, the, the player with three will get that award. And in case of ties, uh, we will let Jacob flip a coin on his computer and who, which one will be heads, one will be tails, whichever one gets, it gets the award. We didn't really know how else to do it. Um, well,
3: now I'm afraid after all that coin talk that that this coin is rigged now. I
2: know it already knows I was the Just results. about to bring that up. That's, that's the issue. So you know, I hope you all are ready. The coin is biased. Get your uh, you know get your imaginary bow ties on and tuxes. He's got a weighted coin on his computer. We're gonna we're gonna give out some awards here. So the first award that we're gonna start with, we're gonna do coach of the year. So you know, this is obviously the award for who you believe you know the. The coach of the year is whether it be the best coach the you know the most surprising coach whatever you want it to be um but i'm going to do this based on the order of you know the heads i see on my screen so we're going to start with ian on this one ian i would like to know who is your winner for coach of the year
0: well michael i'm sure it will please you very much that i am agreeing with because i believe he was the official winner as well you know the, the less valuable but more popular award. Uh, your Browns coach, Kevin Stefanski, all the way, you know, really have to admire what he was able to do with that squad. And more importantly, for winning a playoff game and coming pretty close to winning a second playoff game with the Cleveland Browns, an achievement that I was very happy to see even as I silently wondered whether it was ever going to happen.
2: So one for Kevin Stefanski, Uh, we're going to go to Darren now, Darren, who is your winner of coach of the year?
1: Yeah, I will. I'll make it. I will make an agreement on that because I just, you know, when you look at what the Browns did last year coming in with the expectations they had in 2019, where after Baker Mayfield's great rookie season and, you know, you be, you know, you trade for OBJ and you have all, you know, you have all these weapons now and everything's so exciting. And then they they face plan. Then all you're hearing about is dysfunction within the coaching staff and the front office and everything. It's like, you know, I mean, you know, on one hand, like, you know, like the same is the same old lines, Michael, you could have said the same old Browns, but the job that St- Kevin Stefanski did in terms of just completely stabilizing it seemingly just the whole organization, you know, helping building Baker Mayfield back up to looking like, you know, someone who could actually be a competent franchise quarterback and getting this team to have an identity, which is running the football a lot uh, and well. Um, I think, you know, considering especially the history of the Browns, ever since they came back to Cleveland in 1999, I think this is, was as, good of a job um, as any head coach had done this year. I think, I mean, they you know, they won a playoff game against the against your, the Haid rival Steelers. They came, you know, they had a shot against the Kansas City Chiefs when, once Patrick Mahomes went out of the game with an injury. So I don't know how much better any other, anyone could have done with that team this year. And I think Stefanski deserves a lot of credit with that. He, he deserved winning the coach of the year. And I believe he deserves getting the pylon coach of the year award from us.
2: Jacob any uh objection there
3: you know what i'm i'm going to take Stefansky cuz he definitely deserves it but every single round i'm going to give a play, a team or a coach or whoever that deserves to be more talked about because i feel like this one especially is a very unanimous decision for my underdog for jacob's underdog coach of the year this team has to have an under 500 record i'm going to pick Matt rule of the Panthers. I think he did a great job this year with what the Panthers had to offer with Christian McCaffrey being out a very inconsistent quarterback and a defense that gave up a lot of points. He's an offensive coach. Um, I feel like, especially at the beginning of the year, he did a really great job. Obviously the coach of the years as the Bansky, he deserves it, but my low key coach of the year for a bad team is Matt rule of the Carolina
1: Panthers. They're going to be good in the future. They were competitive in, in like every seemingly every game they were in. I mean, they they had a shot. I mean, so even though that that and they that had to have... deal
0: with Teddy Bridgewater as their quarterback,
1: well, he's not a bad
0: guy. He's uh, just not... <laughs> no, no, he's, he's not like a bad person or anything. He's just like an okay quarterback.
1: Yeah. Well, hey, if they make they they've been everyone's been saying that they're being that they're trying to be a player for Deshaun Watson. So heck, if they can make that trade, that that would be. They
0: tried to get Stafford.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it just lies with me and I mean, first of all, my, my decision wouldn't matter. Um, but obviously as a Browns fan, I am taking Stefanski uh, the thing that I would like to highlight um, first year head coach obviously led the Browns to 11 to five record a playoff berth for the first time in 18 seasons and a playoff win for the first time in he's about 26 years and especially in the this year of COVID that we're dealing with where the entire offseason was virtual. Stefanski didn't even get, you know, hate, like to, you know, work hands-on with the players until training camp. And, you know, after seeing that week one game against the Ravens that ended 38-6, to six, um, uh, I mean, it was it was worrisome. We You know, as, as a Browns fan, we didn't know where the season was headed, and he righted the ship. And, you know, I'm very excited to see, you know, where it feels weird knowing that the Browns are keeping their coach going into next season, but they are. And I'm very excited to see where he takes us. So, Kevin Stefanski, although you did win the official award for Coach of the Year, you win up highly. It will be shipped to you in the mail. Um, other finalists for the award the other finalists for the award were Sean McDermott of the Bills and Brian Flores of the Dolphins. I was seeing a lot of Bills fans very upset that McDermott didn't win. Um, But I'm sorry, Bills Mafia, the Bills were supposed to be good and you were. So I really don't see what your argument is. So Kevin Stefanski, coach of the year for the Pileys, the the inaugural winner. Um, Like I said, it'll be coming in the mail at some point. We will, you know, we're not going to leave you out to dry. So the second award that we're going to give out is we're going to do defensive rookie of the year. Um, I'm not going to like say who the official winner was, especially for our viewers who, you know, maybe don't know who the official winner was. I might save that for the end. Um, but we're going to start with Darren on this one.
1: Darren, who, in your opinion, was defensive rookie of the year? This is a tough one because I really did. I was I've, I've kind of gone back and forth with this, because especially since he was a big part of their defensive improvement and winning the Super Bowl this year, I was tempted to go go a little bit off the board and go with personally go with Antoine Winfield jr. But I'm going to go with the chalk and I'm going to say chase young because, you know, you look at the stats, not only was just, just to use, right. I use this site a lot, but pro football focus, chase young in his rookie year, grand he was the number two pick the fifth best defensive end in all of football as a rookie already. I mean, that's, it's, you know, for a guy who has his talent, this is a guy who, they said this is a guy who coming out, They, you know, um, Alice said could have been either as good or better than either of the Bosa brothers. And both of those guys are all pro caliber players for their teams right now. So he came out, he had a great year for he had a great year for Washington, helped them win the NFC East and make the playoffs. He's has probably a future as being one of the premier pass rushers in the league. And he, you know, he didn't put up a huge sack totals this year, but. His impact, you could tell. I mean, when you watched him, that the talents there, the talents evident, and the impact's already there. So, you know, incredibly impressive already in his rookie year, and that's why I think you know he he would be the rookie, real life rookie of the year, and then also, and then yeah, the pilot rookie of the year. Uh,
2: Jacob, uh, who is the defensive rookie of the year, and who is your underdog rookie of the year?
1: Ah, uh,
3: thank you for asking about the underdog. My underdog rookie of the year, I'll start with him, is Patrick Queen of the Ravens he came in he was making big plays all year he led their team in tackles he was their middle linebacker he was the voice of their defense a defense that was much improved uh, throughout the seasons and showed it a little bit in the playoffs they did lose the bills but they fought hard doing it so Patrick Queen is my underrated rookie of the year my rookie of the year is also pretty boring I'm going to go with Chase Young I wanted to be different but I just feel like he was just a difference maker for that team and the highlight of that Washington football team's team was their defensive line and he was the star on there. So I'm going to have to go with chase young, still sad that he couldn't have fallen to the lines at three, or we didn't have to tie to the Cardinals last year, still regretting it.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to keep the order and I will go next. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, I'm, I'm going to keep the same. I'm also taking chase young. So I mean, Ian, unfortunately your, your decision does not matter, but I I was looking up, I was doing my research before these awards to make sure I had every pick where I wanted it. I mean, Chase Young, seven and a half sacks, four forced fumbles, and 32 solo tackles. The dude is an absolute animal. I really don't think you can make much of a case for anyone else. I believe, I believe Antoine Winfield was the runner up. Um, I don't remember, I can't remember who the other finalist was off the top of my head. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, Chase Young had a Great season for a rookie, one of the best rookie seasons we've seen defensively in a long time. And he's gonna be he's gonna be a problem for years to come in the in the
0: State Capitol. I'm pretty sure that when I looked this up today, the runner-up was Jeremy Chin, actually, the Panthers safety. Oh, true. He of the back-to-back defensive touchdowns. <clears throat> Although I am going to make it four for four for Chase Young. I mean, really not too much controversy there. I mean, he, he he ran away with it officially and we'll run away with it in our unofficial little pileys here as well. I mean, it's, I think one of the most interesting things about Chase Young was just that I feel like it's not, incredibly common that you come in as like a rookie pass rusher, unless you're like just the absolute best of the best and you come in and you're like, and you're getting like double teamed in year one, like constantly, even when you're on a line full of other guys who are good at pass rushing defense, like offenses are still like, this is the guy we need to devote extra resources to. It's hard for me to think of someone who came in as a pass rusher like year one and was getting that kind of attention who hasn't gone on to be like really good. So, you know, obviously he can't win defensive rookie of the year more than once, but, but, you know, we might see him transition down to defensive player of the year in the running in the future sometime.
2: Yeah, so Chase Young is the inaugural winner of Defensive defensive Rookie of the Year. Sorry for the Pileys. Chase, your trophy will be in the mail. It will be delivered to you. Sometimes you can add it to your collection. Uh, So third, uh, we're just going to go to the other side of the ball. Offensive Rookie of the Year. I think we may have some disagreements in this one. It was kind of a controversial award, um, but I will send it over. Jacob, you're going to start us off this time. Um, so who who is your winner for? Offensive? I'm
3: happy.
2: I'm happy that you picked
3: me to be first, so I could be hot takey kind of. Um, I'm f- okay for my first offer. My underdog rookie of the year it was undrafted running back James Robinson of the Jaguars. He was great this season. They really found a gem, and I think, um, especially after seeing the Super Bowl, and I've seen um, a couple of statistics about it. You do not have to pay your running backs. You don't have to use a high pick on running backs. So I really think what Jacksonville did getting an undrafted free agent in James Robinson was really great. I think it's really going to help for the development of Trevor Lawrence next year. And I think James Robinson had a very, very good season for an undrafted running back um, for my rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year. This was not a question to me. I didn't think that the player who won deserved to win. I think Justin Jefferson was clearly the offensive rookie of the year. I'm not going to debate it very much. He broke all kinds of records for rookies catching the ball in a league that is mostly pass oriented. Given that it was a little bit more impressive when guys used to do it back then, but he was destroying Randy Moss's records. And I think Randy Moss is one of the greatest receivers of all time. So Justin Jefferson, for me, offensive rookie of the year.
2: Yeah. giving mean, keeping the order. I mean, I'll go next. Um, I'm completely in agreement. Uh, I have Justin Jefferson as well. Um, I mean you look at his numbers 88 receptions 1400 yards and seven touchdowns in his rookie season that is the most reception yards by a rookie in the Super Bowl era and he was completely written off he got like two votes um I there there's a severe QB bias in all of you know the offensive awards and I just think Justin Jefferson has a right to be upset about this one um he I mean I mean his numbers were just insane um and especially for a rookie drafted as low as he was in the first round who not a lot of people thought was gonna be a very good pro I I just think what he did for that he kept the Vikings in the playoff hunt basically single-handedly and I think he is definitely worthy of this award so that's two for Justin Jefferson but we're gonna hear what Ian and Darren have to say but we'll start with Ian.
0: Unfortunately, if there is any controversy, it's not going to matter because I also picked Justin Jefferson. (laughs) This is really solidified for me when I went and I looked at. I just looked up like rookie receivers 2020 because I was saying like I heard about all this snubbing. You know, Herbert obviously did. Justin Herbert, I mean, obviously did. Probably a lot better than a lot of people were expecting because. I saw him as, like, a very popular pick for, like, who's going to be the bust guy. Like, the high-profile bust guy this first round. And, obviously, he did not play like that at all, way outplayed that expectation. But, it's like, you look at the other receivers, it's like, none of these other players, except for, like, like a little bit CD lamb or even in the same like zip code as Justin Jefferson. He, I mean, as Jacob said, he's, if he's out here destroying Randy Moss's records, that's pretty damn important. You know, that's someone you got to pay attention to. Like, like when was the last time that a rookie receiver came in and was just that good, like that fast. I am not sure if I remember one. It, it's it's like the Vikings didn't even trade Stefan Diggs. That's how it felt, to be honest.
2: So I mean, Darren, as you know, as other people have felt on the show, your voice means absolutely nothing. But do you care to defend anyone else, or are you going to go with the flow?
1: Oh, no, I've had this. I was about to, I have, I've had this in my mind for the whole time. You know, Justin Jefferson, again, and no, and, and like, like everyone said, the fact that you, you know, his name is being mentioned, cause it's, it isn't as if the Vikings haven't had any good receivers who could, who could have, you know, put their names in the conversation with Randy Moss either. Obviously, yeah, Thielen, you know, Stephon Diggs, before he was traded, just in terms of a couple of recent examples. But Justin Jefferson came out this year and had, you know, and remember, this guy was the number two at LSU when hit with him and Jamar Chase. So it wasn't like he wasn't even considered to be the best prospect there. And he came out and had he came out and had 1400 other hold on a second. Sorry about that noise in the background. He came out. He came out and had the you know the great thing is he had such a nice round number 1400, not 1401, not 1399, just 1400, such a perfect round number to have as a receiver but no I mean he was great he was great and him and I will say also just because he was on my fantasy team and him and Dalvin Cook were the reason you know were the main reasons why the Vikings were in the playoff picture for as long as they were but no I mean he he was in terms of even though even if Herbert didn't have a great year he wouldn't have the greatest year he would have had he would have still had the opportunity to put up numbers because he's the quarterback for a rookie receiver like rookie receivers aren't you know they they can struggle at times like them and tight ends are are two positions where it's not always necessarily they don't necessarily always come to the league and like the league on fire for him to have basically an all pro caliber season and establish himself as you know being at the very least a top 10 wide receiver after one year it's incredible it's incredible and so yeah no no I was gonna say like there's yeah no argument for me I think I think by far and away not that Justin Herbert didn't have a good year but I think Jefferson. Jefferson, for for what the expectations were going into this year, by far and away, blew them completely out of water.
2: Yeah, Justin Jefferson wins the Piley. So you know, Justin uh, Justin Herbert may have won the main award, but you get the Piley, which we have said is more important. Uh, the last receiver to actually win Offensive Rookie of the Year was Odell Beckham Jr. back in 2015. And if you look at Justin Jefferson and Odell Beckham Jr.'s numbers, they are pretty, pretty similar to each other. Odell was just in the end zone a little bit more. Um, so congratulations to Jeff- Justin Jefferson. You are the first winner of Offensive Rookie of the Year here on the Pileys. So now we will move on to Defensive Player of the Year. So we're going to get away from the rookie. We're going to get into the, the veterans now. Um, Defensive Player of the Year seems to have been run by two people over the last, you know, decade or so. Um, So I will actually start with this one as the, you know, order portrays. Um, And I think we might have some controversy in this one too, but not for me. I'm actually going to roll with Aaron Donald. Um, You look at Aaron Donald's numbers, 27 tackles, 13 and a half sacks, four forced fumbles. Um, But mainly I know, I know there's probably going to be some disagreement about this. Uh, but to me, this award has really nothing to do with the stats this year. If you watch the Rams play, you realize how important Aaron Donald is to this team. And I always look at the defensive player of the year as kind of like the defensive MVP because I don't think a defensive player is going to win MVP anytime soon. Um, I mean, look, you can you can talk about stats all you want and say other players deserved it. You take Aaron Donald off the Rams and that defense is nothing. Um, I, I think, you know, they had the number one defense this year in the league. And I mean, they have a great secondary, but that secondary doesn't mean anything. If Aaron Donald's not rushing the passer, um, he does so much, um, that nobody sees. And I think, you know, he won it back to back years for, you know, and whatever the two out of the last three years. And I think he just won it again. And I think, I think he has earned it and I think it is him. So we'll move on to Ian. Uh, Do you agree or do you have another name in mind?
0: I actually did have another name in mind although I was going I was going back and forth about this because I think you make a good point about Aaron Donald's value to the defense how much LA would lose without him but I did decide that I was going to roll with TJ Watt this year and perhaps we have sort of opposite thinking because I was looking at the stats here, I admit, and it's pretty dang impressive. I mean, he got a, you know, he got a pick as basically a lineman to force fumbles and passes defense only played 15 games. He averaged a sack a game Tremendous amount of tackles for loss, made all the way up to twenty-three, and for me personally, I think it's really, I think it's really impressive for a guy who's on a defense with so many other talented players, especially at the pass rush, that for for someone to distinguish themselves among several people who are also like really, really good at their position to me that says a lot and i think it can give i think it can give an equal value to like what level of talent that someone's at if you can perform like that even around other people who are also getting theirs it's the same sort of thing that i thought about with chase young earlier
2: Yes, I mean, TJ Watt is, yeah, I mean, he was the runner up for the award. Um, I think, honestly, the Steelers declined down the stretch, probably hurt his chances, but um, he hasn't lost it quite yet. We'll go out to Darren, we'll see who he thinks deserved the award.
1: Well, Certainly T.J. Watt overall have a very good year, although I am going to agree with Michael and say, because Aaron, Aaron Donald, I'm just going to bring this up, because I know I mentioned pro football focus. Ever since Aaron Donald's been in the league among uh, among defensive linemen, he has ranked second, one, 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 and one all every single year of his career as a defensive lineman in the league. He's basically been, since he came in, the best defensive lineman in the entire league I mean he this guy he's had 20 he's had 20 and a half sacks in a season as a defensive tackle which is when you consider what defensive tackles what their role usually is is absurd um and no I just don't think I feel like because I can remember back I can remember back growing up in the early 2000s how in my opinion J.J. Watt that J.J. Watt when he was in his prime was in my mind arguably the best player in the NFL Aaron Donald it's like, you know, kind of as, as J.J. Watt has now kind of – as he is now in the twilight of his career, Aaron Donald has taken up that spot as being the 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 the, the single defensive player that you can legitimately argue may be the best player in the NFL. And so, I, yeah, I think that he's – I think he's going to be a – I think he could be a shoo-in for this award for, for probably the next half decade at the very least. I mean, the – there's been no drop-off there's been no drop-off ever since he's gone to the league. He is excellent every single year. And as so you know, as, for, as someone who, who always has enjoyed watching, a you know, watching defensive lines and, you know, seeing guys like that. I mean, he's, I, I think for me, for me, there really is no question. He is by far and away the most deserving candidate for defensive player of the year.
2: So Jacob, unlike, every other award so far, your voice actually matters here. So are you, are you going to just go with, you know, go with the grain or are you going to send us to a coin flip potentially? First
3: off, I want to start with my underdog rookie because this is less important, but I'm going to go with Devin White. We saw it throughout the playoffs, and I know this is a regular season award. Devin White had 97 solo tackles this year, which tied for third amongst all players in the NFL. He had nine sacks, which tied for 14th, even though he is a middle linebacker. That is mostly a run-stopping slash coverage linebacker. He does both very well. He gets to the side-to-side of the field so well. That Buccaneers defense, especially in the postseason, looked amazing, and he was the main reason for it. So for my underrated defensive player of the year, I'm going to go with Devin White. For defensive player of the year, I convinced myself before any of you made your picks that I was going to take this player, so I'm not going to. I'm sorry, Ian. I know you want me to say T.J. Watt. I'm actually going to go with Xavier Howard from Miami Dolphins. He had ten interceptions this season. The toughest position to play in the NFL, I would say, is cornerback. They, the all the rules are slated towards um, wide receivers, and all the rules are slated towards offense. So I'm going to go with Xavier Howard from the Miami Dolphins, who had ten interceptions this season. The Dolphins, as a team, led the league in takeaways with twenty nine. He had he had one third of the team's takeaways this season, more than a third. He had 10 interceptions. I'm going to go with Xavier Howard because I think that the cornerback is the hardest position to play in football. And although I think Jalen Ramsey is the best corner in the NFL, the best corner this season was Xavier
2: Howard. So Jacob shocks all of us and takes the the third place in the defensive player of the year. But since we are only four people and since majority does rule, Aaron Donald is the – Winner of Defensive Player of the Year in the Pileys. I know it's boring, but you know what? Sometimes, when it, with a player as dominant as Aaron Donald, it just becomes the normal. So now we will move on to Offensive Player of the Year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's the Defensive Player of the Year, but on offense. Uh, Ian, we'll start with you. We're back at the, we're back at the top.
0: Now I do want to promise that this award is not being decided solely because of how good this was for my fantasy team, but I'm going to agree with the official pick. I'm going to go with Derrick Henry, you know, um, running back is a position where racking up large amounts of carries, racking up large amounts of yards is... You know, we're rapidly going away from that as a league. There's only a few teams right now that really put a heavy priority on running. Obviously, the Titans were one of those teams. And because Derrick Henry is just elite, absolute, you know, freak of nature on the field, he's able to put up 127 yards a game on the way to becoming just the eighth running back to ever hit 2000 in a season, you know, getting, getting that achievement in the kind of climate that the league is in right now, although obviously he did have a very run heavy offense to help him out is it's stunning. It's, it's really amazing what they've been able to build down there in Tennessee and You'd be fooling yourself if you said he didn't matter as a part of
1: that. Darren, to you? Yeah, no, that that you're not gonna get any disagreement from me on that. Henry, just look up what he did to Josh Norman and whoever the hell that guy was from the Lions when he freaking just blasted them into oblivion. That that's all you gotta do. That's all you gotta do. Just this guy, this guy. Just destroys people. I mean, literally, just destroys people. He turns them into a meme. That is how. That is how good that stiff arm is. He turns. He he turned Josh Norman into a meme. That is what. That is what he does. And no, I mean, you're talking about rushing for two thousand yards, which is something that is you no, know, and then like like Ian said, something that is. This is not. This is not a common thing. You know, I mean, this is, you know, I mean, this is, it's even when the league, even when the league, when it was a a running backs league, it still wasn't a common thing. So the fact that he's only the eighth one to do it, um, it's, you know, it's remarkable. I mean, the guy, he can run through anybody and yet he can also outrun nearly anyone on the field too. For a guy who's 6'3", 247 pounds, he has such speed. I mean, it's, he's just, there's, there's no, there's no answer for him. I mean, there's there's no there's really no, no no realistic answer. I mean, you just have to send everything you got them, and even sometimes that might not work. So no, I mean, I Derek Henry and me. I mean, the guy's a machine. He he seems like someone who I don't know. I mean, I hopefully hopefully he's able to have a really long career because you know the just the, to watch him is you know it's a show because this guy just loves beating people up and it's so, just, it just <laughs> it's it's fun to watch. So yeah, no, I would my, all, all the way for on my offensive player of the year.
2: Jacob, a your underdog and your pick for Offensive Player of the Year. My underdog,
3: because, because quarterbacks don't really get much love for Offensive Player of the Year, that's mostly an MVP thing. My underdog will be Josh Allen. I feel like he had a really great season this year. I'm not going to put him in contention for the MVP category. Sorry, Josh, I do love you but I won't um, put him in contention for that. So that is going to be my underdog, even though that's not really an underdog pick. But my pick for Offense Player of the Year will be different from the other two. I'm going to go with who had the best receiving season this year, who was Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey led everyone in receiving yards this season as a tight end. He had statistically by pro football focus, the greatest season by a tight end of all time, um, beating George Kittles from last year and Gronk from a couple of years before that. So I'm going to go with in a league that passes the ball. I think it's so impressive that a tight end is the one who's leading the league in receiving yards um, when he's blocking some part of the time, too. And he just uh, he's such a physical and gifted player. I think Travis Kelsey really deserves some more shine because a lot of the tension does go to Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill, the faster guys. But Travis Kelsey does it in a lot of different ways and I really like the way they use Travis Kelsey in that offense, and I feel like he deserves some shine. So for Offense Player of the Year, I'm going to go with Travis Kelsey.
2: Okay, so we have two for Derrick Henry and one for Travis Kelsey. Now what I will say is I've had these written down since you know mid-afternoon. My player is also not Derrick Henry, Um, but unfortunately for us it is not Travis Kelsey. I'm going with another – player who had a really great receiving season. I'm actually going with Devontae Adams for my offensive player of the year. Devontae Adams, think about this. He only, he did, he put up these numbers. He only played 14 games this season. He had 1,374 yards, 18 touchdowns on 115 catches. He was averaging 11.9 yards per reception. Um, You know, I mean, I think we'll we'll talk about his, you know, his quarterback, probably in a little while I'm sure, but you look at the numbers that Devontae Adams put up, and he put up more production in less games than Derrick Henry did this season. Um, he was truly unguardable. There wasn't a single corner this year that I think even came remotely close to slowing down Devontae Adams. Um, and I mean, like I mean, like I said, I mean 18 touchdowns for a wide receiver is insane. Um, and I think, you know, Jacob made a really good shout with Travis Kelsey. I think that's a very good pick here. Um, but I just think, you know. For a player to be playing at an MVP caliber, such as you know what Aaron Rodgers did this season, I think he needs he needs that wide receiver that's just better than everyone else. I think Devonte Adams is the best receiver in football right now. And I think he I think he should have been offensive player of the year. Um, but as majority does rule here on the pileys, uh, boring wins once again, uh, Derrick Henry with two votes to one and one. Derrick Henry is wins the Piley for Offensive Player of the Year this season. Derek, your trophy will be in the mail. You can add it to your hardware. So now we will move on to what I think might be Jacob's favorite award um, this year. Uh, we're going to most improved player. This is normally a basketball award. There is no most improved player in football. So actually this one, there, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, we're doing this instead of Comeback Player of the Year. Um, I mean, this year, comeback player of the year is pretty obvious, as as it was anyway. Um, So we'll go go right into it. Most improved player, we're starting with Darren. Uh, Who is your most improved player this season?
1: Um, Well, I'm going to do, do a guy that Jacob just mentioned as his underdog pick for offensive player of the year. And I'm going to go with Josh Allen, because based on what he had shown his first two years in Buffalo, you know, obviously, everyone. You know, the arm talent was there, the athleticism was there, and he was coming off a playoff, leading the buck, leading the Bills to the playoffs. But I don't think anyone could have imagined putting to get instantly becoming a top five quarterback just like that. I mean, he from the start he was putting up huge numbers and leading the Bills all the way to the AFC Championship game, beating the beating the Ravens, beating Lamar Jackson um, in the playoffs. He, I mean, he put you know it was it was impossible. I mean, he put up a season that was comparable to that was comparable, if not better, than a lot of the seasons that um, the all that the Bills' other great quarterback Jim Kelly put up when he was leading them to four straight Super Bowls. So, you know they you know everyone was wondering if they had finally got a quarterback after not having one for so long, and now they do. And now, Alan, I mean, listen, he's gone from being a guy who it seemed you know who certainly had tools, but and no one knew if he was ever you know everyone was questioning if he could put it together to becoming. You know, and, and with you know with his accuracy with his accuracy issues, I just, I should say, and you know turn you know and some of his issues with turnovers to becoming one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league, one of the most explosive, um, a true dual threat guy. I mean, I think I think you know the the one cop on him is I th- I think really he's he's in he's the mo he is what Cam Newton would have been if Cam Newton was a more accurate passer, because I mean he's got the same kind of arm talent, he's got the same kind of athletic ability, the same kind of size. Um, he's just got, you know, he's just based on the season. He's just a lot more accurate. So, you know, he is uh, in terms of where he was his first two years to where he was now. I, I, I don't think I didn't foresee that jump coming. I don't think many other people saw that jump coming. So definitely um, for my mind, really uh, my, my pick for most improved.
2: Jacob, I don't think knowing you, we're not, I don't think we're going to see a disagreement here, but let's hear it. Let's see what you have to say about most improved player.
3: Well. My underdog most improved player, actually, believe it or not, is Jesse Bates from the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, he was in contention for Defensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, he is a very, I, he's the only bright spot, I think, on a very, very sad, 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 sad Bengals defense. So I'm going to go with Jesse Bates, the third, for my underdog um, most improved player. Uh there is going to be a disagreement here. Uh I mentioned Josh Allen earlier because I wasn't picking him for this award because as soon as I heard most improved, this is the exact player that came to mind for me. And he's actually on the exact same team for the Buffalo Bills. It is actually Stefan Diggs. Uh Stefan Diggs was really really great this year. Uh he really came to his own as a wide receiver one uh for Buffalo. Uh he was part of that explosive offense. Uh, it, it's tough to say that I think probably the two most improved players in the entire league were, they have a direct correlation for each other. The way Josh Allen is approved is directly made uh, Stefan Diggs improve. So I'm going to go with Stefan Diggs just because um, his serving size is a little bit bigger. He had some great years in uh, Minnesota, but he also struggled a little bit. And I think this year really set a tone for how good of a receiver he can be as a number one in uh, Buffalo and definitely worth the trade for them.
2: All right. So Jacob goes with Stefan Diggs. Uh, So now it's my turn. um, And I'm, I'm going to agree with Darren here and I'm going to go with Josh Allen. And I got, I got some stats here that just made this, I mean, out of the water for me Um, as a Browns fan, I was considering Baker Mayfield for this award. I really was. Um, but then I looked at the numbers and I saw that actually last year, Baker Mayfield was better than Josh Allen, even though Josh Allen had a better team. Um, but last season, Josh Allen, 58.8 completion percentage, 300, 3,089 yards, 20 touchdowns and nine interceptions. And this year he, he went to 69.2% completion, 4,544 yards 37 touchdowns and 10 interceptions and a division title in an AFC championship game of parents. I mean, those numbers, I mean, it's just staggering from one year to the next and that's not all Stefan Diggs. Um, I mean, you can make the argument it is, but I mean, the completion percentage is just, I mean, that's jaw dropping. I mean, you're talking a player just went from 58% to 69% in one season. We don't ever see a rise that monumental. I mean, another number that I have here, his yards per attempt this season went from 6.7 to 7.9. He was averaging a yard and a half more per attempt this year than he was last year. And that has a lot to do with his higher completion percentage. But Josh Allen has turned into one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL when that was the one knock on him coming out, you know, coming out in the draft was that he had this cannon for an arm but didn't really have the accuracy for it. And now he does. Um, Josh Allen's absolutely lethal. He's probably going to get an MVP someday. I, I firmly believe that. And Buffalo is not going anywhere with this dude at the helm. I mean, he 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 definitely took a step up this year, I think, more than any player in the league. And he is my most improved. Um, so Ian, your your voice matters um are are you gonna Mm. are you going to crown josh Mm. allen or are you just are you gonna let him do it the hard way
0: well as my friend from wyoming likes to say i'm gonna go with josh allen (laughs) yes for pretty much everything you just brought up michael i was gonna bring those things up if you hadn't first but yeah pretty much you'd you don't see quarterbacks improve like this, especially after they've already been in the league for like two years. Like this is just an absolutely stupid amount of improvement. You definitely cannot attribute it all to Stefan Diggs. You, I think you can attribute a little bit of it to the bills deciding to pass a lot more this year. Cause his attempts also went up by over a hundred, but certainly he was getting more out of his attempts. He wasn't doing, you know, he didn't improve his completion percentage just by doing low, low dump offs all the time. And I don't think there's anyone else that I could possibly argue is having a better year to year improvement than Josh Allen did truly insane. And I will be enjoying watching bills games for the foreseeable future. He's made the bills appointment television. That's improvement.
2: Yep. So no real controversy here. Uh, Josh Allen will win the Piley for most improved player this season. Um, but now, I mean, I mean, next year, I mean, we, we could be seeing Josh Allen winning this next award next season. Um, but this next award is the the crown jewel. This is the most valuable player award, the MVP. I honestly don't think we're going to have a lot of controversy here, but you know, we might as well see where it goes. Jacob, you are up first.
3: You know, I'm actually going to, I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers. That's, that's not much. Um, just because he he was just so dominant and the, what he's doing, it's not Tom Brady age impressive, but Aaron Rodgers is getting up there in age. So what he's been doing is just uh, super impressive. And their offense was insane this year. He was the way that he, he somehow just was like basically playing a game against other teams. He was playing a game within a game because every single game they're like, okay, Devonte Adams is our number one target, but yet we're going to go on a streak where I throw him a touchdown pass for what's felt like every single game this season that Devonte adams wasn't hurt he was just messing around and even even after that their receivers really fall off after that no offense to valdez scantling but it's Devonte adams he's amazing and then he's just throwing around to a bunch of other receivers that i don't think are anywhere in the same like opinion and they have aaron jones who they could hand the ball off to and he had multiple times this year where he had over 100 yards rushing but yet Aaron Rodgers still made an impact in every single game. For my underdog, I'm actually going to go with who actually won the offensive player of the year because I think he's more valuable to his team than I thought his offensive season was more impressive. Um, I think Derrick Henry is probably to his team one of the most valuable things. You take Hen- uh, Derrick Henry off that team. I don't think they're close to 500. I think they are very, very below 500. Um, so I'm going to go with Derrick Henry as my underdog. MVP this
2: season. So now it goes to me. Jacob takes the actual winner of the award. Uh, I mean, I am too. Um, Aaron Rodgers, 70.7% completion, 4,299 yards, an absurd 48 touchdowns to only five interceptions. Um, I mean, just... This started back in April at the draft when the Packers for some reason took Jordan love in the first round. I mean, we're talking, you know, the media is all over Aaron Rodgers with maybe possibly requesting a trade, um, that he's in the decline. Like why, what are the Packers thinking? Um, I think now we, you know, after watching the last Packers game, I I'm starting to think that maybe his coach is not the greatest decision maker. Um, But, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, with basically the weight of this entire team on his shoulders, just completely dominated everybody and led Green Bay to the number one seed um, with my offensive player of the year, Devontae Adams, as his number one target. Uh, I mean, they were just – that is the most lethal connection in football. I mean, but Aaron Rodgers, it wasn't just Devontae Adams. I mean, Alan Lazard had an incredible season. You could have made a case for him for most improved – Marquez Vela Scantling had a good year. The rise of Robert Tunyon. Uh, I mean, that's all Aaron Rodgers. That's all him. He means everything to that team, that organization. And he is, he is deserving of the MVP this year. So there's going to be no argument for me. So we'll go to Ian. To I mean, Ian can just keep it rolling or we can, you know, see if he has something up his sleeve.
0: I am in fact going to keep it rolling. My I think my go-to um like ridiculous stat of the of the year was that I believe the Packers had more passing touchdowns than punts this year. That's just not normal. <laughs> I think it was 48 passing touchdowns to 46 punts. Um and also yes with with Devontae Adams, who needs no introduction, is one of the best in football. But after that, as Jacob pointed out, the supporting cast does drop off significantly. You know, Lazard, solid year from him. Valdez Scantling is still, he's kind of unreliable. Um, then you've got like equanimous St. Brown, Robert Tunyon was one of the two Lions cast practice squad cast-offs who found a home this year. Him and uh, Travis Fulgham with the Eagles. But, you know, it, it's hard to imagine without Aaron Rodgers, anyone taking Robert Tunyon seriously as a receiving threat. I mean, he couldn't crack the Lions' roster. That's something that will cause me never-ending pain. The same sort of never-ending pain that I feel having to give the award to Aaron Rodgers, who continually finds new ways to turn the smallest slight against him into motivation for himself to perform like one of the best statistical quarterbacks ever, despite the fact that Jordan Love could not beat Brian Lewerke in Michigan state in 2018. I just have to throw that out there right now. I'm getting, you know, I'm rambling, but it needs to be said.
3: 2018 Brian Lewerke, because I can get behind that
2: movement. We, we, you know, we, you know, we love a a good shout out to Brian Lewerke for beating Jordan Love. Um, But, Actually, I don't think Brian Lorkey has a job right now, so uh, we'll just leave that be. Uh, Darren, sadly, no. Darren, are you moving? Are are we, you know, capping off the coronation here, or are you? I mean, it doesn't matter. But are or do you have someone else in mind?
1: No, we are capping off the coordination. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, I believe this, the the stat was, is that the only, the only, the only highest passer rating that had been recorded other than the one he had this year was his seat was his season MVP winning seasons MVP winning season in 2011. I mean, at 37 years old, I mean, the guy came out in a year, you know, when it seemed like all, when it seemed like Patrick Mahomes was, it was his league. It was his time you know, You know Tom Brady being in the Super Bowl and Aaron Rodgers showed that. Well, yeah, he's still Aaron freaking Rodgers, which, like Ian said, as a Lions fan, pains me a bit to say. But there's no, there's no debating what he did this year. I mean, he 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 was by far and away the best, you know, the best player, um, or at least at the very least, the best quarterback in the league this season. And obviously, the MVP is basically a quarterback award now. So, you know, I mean, that's what you know. He, yeah, no, there's. I mean, you know, we've all said, um, you know, the numbers are, you know, the numbers are just, again, they're, they're off the charts. Um, yeah. Pretty much. I mean, yeah, pretty much slam dunk MVP.
2: Aaron Rogers takes home the inaugural Piley's MVP. Aaron, your trophy will be delivered in the mail. Uh, I was actually given an idea for one final award we're going to give out tonight. I will not be participating but I think it I think it's actually really hilarious, and we're gonna do it. So we're gonna do this quickly though. We have three Lions fans on the show with me. so I would like them to tell me uh, in a year full of disappointment for the Lions, who is the most valuable lion this season?
3: Um, I'm gonna go with, um, I'll start. I'm gonna go with uh, Sheila Ford for firing um, Quinn and uh, and Fear the Beard. I've already forgotten his name and put it in the back
0: of my Matt dad. Patricia.
3: Don't mention him by name. The
0: blueberry. The world's largest blueberry.
3: If I had to pick an actual player, I'm going to do Romeo Quora He played really, really well this year. He was the bright spot on a very bad defensive line. But Sheila Ford will be my uh, player of the year by just getting rid of dipshit and dipshit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, um. <laughs> i really i don't know if i really want to go on this. <laughs> wow um uh jacob I'll, I'll agree with you on sheila ford although i'll add my own can just because if there is one you know one guy who definitely looks like he's going to be a just be, i'll say it just because he actually looks like he could be a building block for this team and for this offense going forward i'll go deandre swift Um, you know, I like this, you know, you would, you know, he showed when he got us, when he got a substantial opportunity this season that he has the real potential to be a dynamic, um, dual threat back in this league, very efficient running the football, very adaptive catching passes out of the backfield has great speed. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's, you know, Jared Goff full time, or if they draft a rookie and, you know, one way or another, he's going to be there, you know, he's going to, he's, he's definitely going to be their main three down back going forward. And, you know, I mean, Romeo Core is a good option. TJ Hawkinson could be a good option. Um, but uh, considering the fact that DeAndre, you know, DeAndre Swift showed out late in the season actually definitely seems like he's going to be a building block for this team going forward. One of the few entertaining players we could actually watch as Lions fans on Sunday. I will go with the rookie DeAndre Swift.
0: Well, I will certainly third, at least in a spiritual sense, she'll afford not just for firing the Patricia Quinn regime, but also looking to have a decent plan, I think, in place for the future, given the amount of draft capital that the Lions are stocking up. In terms of an actual player on the team who has a number, um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to echo your thinking, Darren, but I'm going to switch it around a little bit and I'm actually going to go with TJ Hawkinson because, you know, I, I think I need to see, I need to see a healthier DeAndre Swift personally. I'd certainly agree that he flashed a lot of potential, but Hawkinson just took a huge step up in his second season You know, he was, he was healthy. He was looking more, he was looking more explosive. He was looking like an excellent security blanket and great all around target for the team. I hope that he continues to improve. I mean, he already went to the pro bowl this past year and I think that he will be one of the most valuable pieces that we know of, at least given the tenuous receiver situation for a probably hopelessly outmatched Jared Goff. I don't want to put that evil on him. I guess I do also want to shout out, of course, the person who has won the most the most valuable award that anybody can win, even more valuable than the Pileys, which is – inaugural nvp winner mitch trubisky
2: <laughs> mitch 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 valuable player i don't really understand how he won it considering his team lost
0: one of one the only time <laughs> i, I, I believe one it was won. from people on out. twitter who were just like it's really funny that they let you vote for anybody from this so they were just bombing the nick site <laughs> to vote like 10 times for mitch trubisky
3: And he was, he deserved every vote.
0: He should have gotten all 100% of the votes.
2: So there we have it. The most valuable lion. Actually, we don't actually have one because I'm not voting because I. Legendary
0: Packers fan, Mitch Trubisky.
2: So, yes. So, you know, we have three winners for the most valuable lion. The Inaugural Piley's great success. Our winners, we had coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski. Defensive rookie of the year, Chase Young. Offensive rookie of the year, Justin Jefferson. Defensive player of the year, Aaron Donald. Offensive player of the year, Derek Henry. Most improved player, Josh Allen. And MVP, Aaron Rodgers. It's been fun, uh, but we will send this back to Ian to shut us down.
0: Yes. Thank you, Michael. Time for the saddest part of the podcast, as per usual, shutting it down. Given that it is the off season, I'm not sure whether we will continue on a weekly schedule, per se. That will probably depend on how much news keeps coming out of the league, which I'm sure some will. Will it be enough to make an hour out of it without having pickums, who knows um but i am certain that this is not the last time that we'll meet for sure there's of course draft day on the horizon as well as various trades going back and forth all Trade sorts of rumors in a month oh are...
2: in a month It's
3: quick. (laughs) I'm sure we could do a whole hour on when uh, the Bears. I did not hear that. Yeah, your audio. We lost your audio there. Oh, I was I was just saying that uh, when Carson Wentz gets traded to the Bears, we can do a whole hour on it. No Mm -hmm. problem.
0: Yes, I I would. I would love to do an hour just on Carson Wentz getting traded to the Bears so that I could laugh in their face.
2: Just wait until it's Deshaun Watson to the Bears. the, that, the oh real the,
0: the real the real losers, as always, Bears fans.
2: Ah uh, yes. The yes. The I see, I don't hate Bears fans, but that's just, you know, me.
0: I, I, I don't hate Bears fans. I feel bad for them right now.
2: I feel bad for you guys, and that's who it is. Uh Lions fans have it worse. So, you know,
0: so, <laughs> All right. Well, before we get trapped in a long argument of who's got it worse, (laughs) I think we are going to officially, officially shut this down. Thank you, as always, for talking ball, boys. It's always a pleasure. For Impact 89 FM in East Lansing, Michigan, this has been pylon from me, Ian Drummond, Michael Marcock, Darren Alexander, May Doon (laughs) whole name, and Jacob (laughs) Lothamer.
1: See you next week.